When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you, 2024 recruiting. We'll start on the offensive side. We'll start it with co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. On his site, readandreaction.com. On YouTube, Read Reaction. Will, DJ Lagway kicked it off for us last week right here on Gators Breakdown as we turn the page from 23 to the class of 2024. We'll do the offense this week. We'll do the defense next week, and then maybe the week after or, or somewhere along the way, we'll we'll put a bow on it. We'll really look at the state of Florida. We'll kind of do that the next couple of weeks anyway, but I know you and I, we, we have some preliminary behind-the-scenes conversation about the state of Florida this year and how it's so much different uh, than last year. We probably can wrap it up that way, but as I said, we'll, the path of looking at the offense and looking at the defense, we'll, we'll hit that a bit, but uh, good start for the Gators. We'll get into it right here on this episode. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a lot different than last year. I mean, when you and I were doing this last year, we did not have a five-star quarterback who had committed to the class, right. and you've got a five-star quarterback. Like you said, started off with Lagway last week. And so you've got the cornerstone for the class. The question is, how do you build out from there? Who's he going to be able to help bring in? Who can Napier and staff convince to come to Gainesville to play with DJ Lagway? Obviously, Lagway does not make the class, but you consider that on the offensive side, you got a five-star. On the defensive side, you got a near five-star. And we're going to talk about who they need to add to supplement those guys. Last year, it was who do they need to get up in that five-star tier and certainly you know if you're going to catch a bam in georgia you still need to be in that six or seven five star range these days but uh you know look start out with one then you gotta get to two and three and four and and certainly we're going to talk a little bit about some of those prospects tonight but also filling out the roster in filling out the class in a similar way that they did last year right that 2023 class like i said last week the only criticism i had is that there weren't three five stars in addition to the 20 guys they already signed i actually think it's a really nice class yeah just it's missing that elite talent at the top. Lagway is a start there. We've got some other guys on the offense tonight. We're going to talk about who can help supplement that 
And then, uh, you know, obviously on the defensive side of the ball, given what we saw last year on that side, certainly a place where I think any sort of youth and infusion of talent would be welcome. So, um, look, this is how you build a program. And and the first thing you got to do is is identify the guys in your state and go after them. So we'll be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun doing this last year. Uh, I remember going back and um, doing this episode. So I went back and looked at the, at the list. And like I said, we hit on some of them uh, and some guys we did not like a Kelby Collins, who's out of the state uh, in, in, in Alabama. He was not on our initial list a year ago. I'm sure there will be other players in this 24 class will not be on these, you know, boards that we uh, will and I have put up. So I've, I've done a early research of maybe guys who have visited, maybe visiting in March, uh, maybe some good feelings on from asking around a bit as well. So, you know, we'll see uh, some of these names here, hopefully that end up in the class there for the Gators. But before we get there, everybody hit that like button, subscribe to Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet on YouTube, uh, and really subscribe because we are about 30 away from 11,000 subscribers right here on Gators Breakdown on the YouTube. So, yeah. Your subscriptions right here on YouTube really go a long way and almost hitting that 11,000 mark right now. You can also get those notifications when we go live. I had that surprise episode yesterday where I talked about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC a year early. Hey, if you were subscribed to Gators Breakdown, you'd have got a notification I was going live there uh, and give them my thoughts there. Leave a comment right here. I'm sure there's some players out there you guys want in this 24 class. I hope we go over them here, but if we don't, Throw other name in the comment. If there's some guys you like out there, uh, throw them in the comments as, as well. Uh, maybe we'll come back around to it right here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. And, of course, Gators Breakdown Plus, new feature there, ad-free episodes. If you don't want those ads on the audio version of Gators Breakdown, join Gators Breakdown Plus. You get the reprieve from ads right there. So, Will, let's throw it up one more time. Class of 24, as we mentioned, yeah, starts with DJ Lagway on Gators Breakdown last week. If you missed that interview, listen to what he had to say. Class starts with him. He is the headliner. He's the marquee name in the class right now. Um, did not update these numbers yet. The, the, the 24-7 on three did update uh, these. So I have to go back and update this commit list. Uh, was in a scurry to update the graphics we have tonight for all the updated rankings. Uh, so I did have to fix that there. But DJ Lagway, Miles Graham, Darius Hayes, Chauncey Bowens, two on offense, two on defense. And as we said, great start to this class right here uh, there for the Gators. And when we did this a year ago, I remember we, we didn't know where Florida was going <laughs> for quarterbacks. I mean, we had Arch Manning's name <laughs> on the list, the Vizina's name on the list. Hey, we don't have to worry about quarterback now. One more floating out there, Berklinger, uh, the, the quarterback from the state of Georgia. Uh, there it was a hot name before DJ Lagway committed. You know, hopefully you know, DJ Lagway's the guy. I don't see an Alabama scenario where you bring, like their last class, where you bring in two top flight quarterbacks in the same class uh, there. So I think we can kind of, move on from quarterback a bit. And then, of course, as I mentioned, already have Chauncey Bowens committed at running back, but we will start at the running back position right here and looking at some of the targets. And there we go. Jarrett Gibson, Stacey Gage, Anthony Carey. That's about the three names I think we're all going to be looking for here in about the next year or so or up up until December. Uh, Of course, Jarrett Gibson, five-star running back from Bradenton going to IMG. 22nd player in the country, the number one running back in the country. Hey, Will, we heard that last year too, I think, believe. Uh, was it was one Richard Young who was the number one running back in the country in the state of Florida. Uh, of course, he leaves the state. But Gibson, previously committed to Florida uh, in the summer of 2021, decommitted about a year ago. Uh, been on campus a few times over the last year, uh, the most recent being January 28th for a junior day visit. Uh, in 2020, of course, but at Gainesville High, 
2021, played in the state of Georgia, and then in 2022 at IMG, where he'll play this year as well. Uh, he gets that Sony Michelle comparison from 24-7 Sports' Andrew Ivins, uh, as he also goes on to say, complete package at running back, can make contact, has a speed, every down back with big playability. Then Stacey Gage, of course, also his name uh, coming up a good bit, 150th-ranked prospect in the country, uh, the 13th-ranked running back. Uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas, previously of Wharton and IMG, uh, 24-7 scout report of him, tempo-based runner with an adequate burst, elite contact balance, quickly processes what's in front of him, able to find yardage when the blocking isn't there, short-stepping run style allows him to shake would-be tacklers with swift little cuts. Well, that sounds like one little Trevor Etienne to me, by the way, with, <laughs> with that, uh, that uh, the description of Stacey Gage. And then uh, not so uh, well-known name as far as Gibson and Gage go, but Anthony Carey, believe me, you want to keep an eye on him as well from the Tampa area. Um, Four-star, 149th-ranked player in the country, uh, 12th-ranked running back uh, there. Dude, like I said, um, I had to update these graphics literally like 20 minutes before the show. 24-7 had updated their uh, rankings. That's what we're mostly going by uh, right here. So Gage, carry right around the same area uh, of rankings if you look at these two. Uh, as a junior, carry totaled 919 yards, 16 touchdowns. Uh, and that's a year after going for over 1,000 yards with 20 scores as a sophomore. Good vision, great ability to make the first defender miss uh, when I when I watch his highlights, and then he's off to the races. But I really liked his you know, cutting ability right there toward the line of scrimmage, right there at second level, make that first defender miss, and he's on there uh, to, to to go on to score. So Gibson Gage carry their will for the, for the Gators running back. Hey, look, the big thing here, and I know we said we'll we'll talk in state a little bit. Loaded last cycle. For in-state running backs, when you had Young and Baxter, uh, Webb was in that group as well. But at the top was Young and Baxter. weren't able to get one of those two guys. And then you know, right now you're looking at Gibson. Hopefully, him, the five-star running back here, maybe coming back in the fold after he was previously committed to the Gators. Yeah, look, I mean, Gibson's a, a guy who played in Gainesville back in 2020. I think he's from Gainesville originally. He's moved around now, so you've got him in Bradenton because he's at IMG. But this isn't an IMG kid mm -hmm. who's like from Minneapolis or something who's come down to IMG to play. I mean, this is a guy who's from Gainesville, knows the town, um, you know, was originally committed to Dan Mullen, I think. And so now, you know, you would think that Florida has an inside track, but I still think they have some some work cut out for him when it comes to bringing him in specifically. But again, you start you start talking about a guy who comps to Sony Michelle, and you've got a guy who can break big plays. It's been a long time since Florida's had a guy back there at the running back position who could really break a big play. Like I think Etn has the potential to be a special back, but he broke the one big play against. Uh, against South Carolina. He, he almost broke one against Utah on the ball that he fumbled and then was able to recover. But I don't think of him as like a guy who anytime you give him the ball, he can, he can put it in the end zone. And Gibson sort of profiles as that sort of guy. I do think it's interesting that Gibson's 5'10", 200. Gage is 5'11", 200. Andy carries six foot 185. And so in terms of mm -hmm. you know, either needing to add bulk or having somebody who's a little bit different in terms of your running back room, um, you know, you already mentioned that, that we've got we've got one running back in the class, and so they're only going to probably take two. I wouldn't think, based on the roster, that they're going to end up taking three running backs in this class. So if they can get Gibson, then Gage and Carey probably end up someplace else. But obviously, if you can't get Gibson, then you probably get your choice of either Gage or Carey if they both want to come. I mean, think about it. You've got nobody in the senior class right now at running back, but then you've got Carroll and Montreal Johnson there at the junior level, ETN as a sophomore, and then Webb as a freshman coming in. 
So you want to fill in with a couple of guys behind there, but you're probably not going to take three. And so, um, you know, that's one of the interesting things is because you've already got a guy who's who's come in early and committed to you and you're comfortable with, um, you know, at the running back position, you're probably only going for one of these guys. So obviously Gibson, I think, is the prize. He's the guy you really would want to get. You still want Gage and Carry there in case you do get a decommit, especially if Gibson <laughs> comes in and all of a sudden, you know, somebody says, oh, I'm not going to get the same kind of playing time. I'm going to go someplace else. And the transfer portal makes that a little bit more interesting these days as well. But, uh, um, you know, I, I look at it and I go, Gibson's going to probably be a home run hitter. Gage and Carey, probably more in the mode, mode of Montreal Johnson and, and, and ETN. Um, you know, you mentioned Gage sort of comparing to ETN. But anytime you can get a guy who already profiles as an NFL back, I mean, again, Demarcus Bowman's the only guy who's been in the backfield who's had that profile at Florida over the last few years. And certainly uh, certainly that didn't work out the way we wanted it to. But uh, um, I think Gibson is one of those guys you look at and, again, say, potentially you know you you suspect is going to be a can't miss guy you know napier is going to give him the ball he's going to get every opportunity and if you've got that kind of straight line speed in this running uh in this running game the way the offensive line blocks with the zone blocking scheme put your foot in the ground and cut you're going to get an opportunity to hit some of those big ones and, and gibson can really do that yeah well you hope here that you know you saw etn's production last year so if you are going to speak to a five-star or a highly rated running back hey Look, this was what a true freshman did last year. <laughs> so, you know, you hopefully an easier sale with, I mean, not only that, though, just the production of the run game in, a, in, in itself from the Louisiana days for Billy Napier, uh, the running backs he's put in the league, the running backs he's about to put in the league uh, at Florida. And look, coming in also can sell, hey, look, this is an offensive line uh, that we walked into last year and were able to, to, to run the ball, maybe not consistently, but for some big runs uh, here and there in the run game. So, yeah, I think there's plenty to sell. Uh, these running backs, uh, given Billy Napier's offense, his history, uh, production of putting guys in the NFL. Uh, so interesting there. I mean, I, I think if you look, you look at those three, we'd be quite disappointed if not one of those guys are not, uh, you know, in this class, in, in this finish up this class there with two running backs uh, there for the Gators. One thing I will say is, you know, yeah. you talk about you talk about playing time. I think that becomes really important for every position but running back. I actually think yeah. if you've got a running back who's a smart guy, he wants to know how you're going to feature him, but then also how are you going to protect him? Because running back is one of those positions where you got limited miles on your tires. You get in the and we're NFL, not talking but, and we're not talking Dan Mullen protection, you know, where you only get six <laughs> carries a game. <laughs> well, right. But again, maybe you don't give a guy 10 carries against Vanderbilt, you know, back when Florida could beat Vanderbilt, you know, against West. Western Kentucky, you decide you're going to go with guys who are less skilled in in those particular games, and you've got schemes to do that. That that becomes just as important. So, one of the I think you worry when you get like a five star guy, especially like quarterback, right? That you're not going to be able to fill out behind them because somebody may end up deciding to transfer because you've got this guy who's incumbent at the position. I actually think at running back, that's not nearly as important because of the way injuries build up, because of the way wear and tear builds up. And to be honest, the NFL looks at a guy, I guarantee you the Texans look at Damian Pierce and said, mm -hmm. we're happy he didn't get a ton of carries at Florida. Now, Florida sure. fans weren't necessarily happy that he didn't get a ton of carries, but in terms of protecting Pierce for that next level, Florida did a good job of that. And so um, the more guys you bring in who are highly skilled, the less drop off there is between the first guy and the second guy and the third guy. And, you know, look, when Naquan Wright went out last year, or at least when they no longer were playing Naquan Wright, it was the ETN and Montreal Johnson show. Those guys got more wear and tear on them than they would if they'd have gone with three guys, which I think is what they really wanted to do coming into the season. So adding a guy like Gibson, part of the sales pitch is not just going to be how are we going to put you in a position to succeed. I think in many ways it's going to be how do we – 
how do we help you get to the NFL, showcase your skills, but also in a way that doesn't impact your future earning potential? So I, I just think the recruiting at the running back position is probably a little bit different because of the injuries and the, and the beating those guys take. All right. Well, now we move on to what should be the position group, Will, that is absolutely just headline with talent. And it's kind of concentrated there in one area of the state, and that's the wide receiver position. And there are plenty, plenty of options right here for the Gators to get some pretty good players uh, when you look at the wide receiver position. And starting at the top, Jeremiah Smith, the five-star from Opelika, second overall player in the class, number one wide receiver in the class, committed to Ohio State back on December 14th. Uh, 24-7 sports and, and what they have to say, Andrew Ivins, you know, really concentrated right there in South Florida area. So he's got some good write-ups here uh, for these receivers. But, you know, says one of the most talented wide receiver prospects to come out of South Florida in the modern recruiting era. Uh, that says <laughs> that says a lot from all the wide receivers that we've seen go to Ohio State and all the wide receivers we've seen go to Alabama uh, recently. Jeremiah Smith is getting this label of one of the best out there. Uh, as I said, you know, it, it stings a bit that he's already committed to Ohio State, but you know, maybe may, maybe there's a door open right here uh, to pull in one Jeremiah Smith. This um, goes on to say the type of wide out that can beat a defense over the top one play, then box defenders out in the corner of the end zone the next, has a knack for making high-level grabs, look extremely routine, like plucking the ball out of the air with one hand in traffic. Uh, he was Max Preps Jr. All-American. Helped Chaminade, Madonna Prep, capture of Florida um, uh, state title, finished the season ranked number 10 in the Max Preps top 25. Will in 13 games, he caught 58 passes for 1,073 yards and 20 touchdowns. Uh, of course, Gators still in heavy contact like they should be uh, with one of the best players in the country right here in the state. Trying to get him to visit in March as long as his track schedule doesn't get in the way. Uh, he is in contact with DJ Lagway. Uh, says he definitely wants to take an official, official to Florida. Uh, but, you know, this one is probably going to be, given the pedigree of Ohio State uh, recently and those, are, and, and those receivers, definitely going to be a tough pull to pull him away from Ohio State. But, I mean, come on. just, just, just Let's just do it. And, uh, you know, it's um, don't go sit at Ohio State. No, probably, Smith, I wouldn't project. I mean, look. Ohio State has recruited really well, and he could probably walk in at, at Florida and be a day one starter if he lives up to this type of potential. Uh, so, you know, can a school say, hey, don't go sit behind the rest of those Ohio State receivers that have been going there the last few years. Come somewhere else, come somewhere like Florida, uh, where you can get a better chance uh, of playing time and come in with a high-profile quarterback like DJ Lagway. Uh, next up, JoJo Trader, Hollywood, Florida, five-star, 12th overall, uh, the guy they met as an athlete, but he will be uh, a receiver here at the next level. Um, they go on to say 6'1", 170. Uh, big play waiting to happen, they say, on 24-7. One of the best we've seen in recent years at tracking the football, making acrobatic grabs as he'll lay out to move the chains or levitate over defenders for six points. Not the biggest of skill players, but has started to add some mass in the upper half. Tends to play much bigger than the numbers suggest. Tempo-based route runner that likes to mix gears and shakes defenders. Out on the perimeter in 13 games, he caught 47 passes for 473 yards, seven touchdowns uh, while working at wide receiver. Uh, and then third on the list right here, Draylon Miller from the state of Texas, uh, four-star, um, 67th ranked. He's a ninth-ranked receiver in the country. 
Um, from Silsby, Texas, 6'2", 198, caught 59 passes for 1,400 yards, 21 touchdowns last season. Uh, was supposed to come for a visit in January but couldn't make it, but looking to come uh, in, in March uh, for a visit with Lagway. Um, so interesting there. I, I don't know how high up on the board Miller is, uh, but you know, being from the state of Texas, believe there's a, a relationship with Lagway. We'll see how far that one goes. Uh, James Randall uh, right here from Homestead, four-star, 110th overall, the 18th ranked wide receiver, six foot, 175, 24-7 sports. Uh, gives this analysis a well-rounded wide receiver that's not going to blow anyone away with his build, but always seems to be making big plays. Naturally skilled route runner that does a nice job of mixing speeds, exploding in and out of breaks, tracks back to the football better than most at his age, uh, which is, in, you know, uh, and it gets aggressive at the catch point, encouraging for someone that's on the slender side. Surprisingly large catch radius. Uh, does his best to make his quarterback look good. Caught 60 passes, 1,015 yards, 12 touchdowns for Daytona Beach Mainland, and now will play his senior season at Homestead. Uh, last right here on the list, if you're looking on YouTube, is Chance Robinson from Fort Lauderdale, four-star, 113th overall, the 20th-ranked wide receiver, 24-7 sports, says a game-changer on Friday night, says waited his turn at one of South Florida's top powerhouses, Looks much bigger than a six-foot, one-and-a-half, 190-pound listing as he sticked throughout the torso, but not necessarily in a bad way. Caught just two passes as a sophomore before bursting onto the scene last year as a junior, totaling 540 receiving yards, 13 touchdowns on 29 catches. Scored every 2.2 receptions. He wins at the line of scrimmage with a fine-tuned release as he quick stabs and jabs with his feet to keep defensive backs guessing, can work various numbers of the route tree, uh, but seems to be at his best when he's just trying to get vertical on the outside. So there's a top five there uh, targets uh, we're looking at, Will, uh, mostly in the state of Florida, loaded, and by no surprise, really, loaded in the South Florida area. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Miami is usually pretty loaded when it comes to wide receivers and speed. No secret down there. I mean, Smith obviously is the key. He'd be the highest rated wide receiver that Florida's ever signed. I, th I don't think, I think Harvin was like seventh overall um, in terms of like overall ratings and things like that. Yeah. He's probably right in line with that. But I mean, you think about the last five star that Florida signed at wide receiver. Who was it? Andre DeBose? Is that the last guy? I mean, oh. I, you know, the, the top guys that Florida's had, they had, they, they had Bubba Caldwell, they had Chad Jackson, they had Percy Harvin, and then, and I think it's DeBose. And that's sort of it when you think about the five star guys who've come in. Smith immediately fits in that ilk in terms of guys. I mean, you know, like Chad Jackson and <laughs> Bubba Caldwell, and then mm -hmm. Percy Harvin obviously turned out. DeBose had some exciting plays, but wasn't necessarily everything we thought he would be. But that's, that's who you're talking about when you're talking about Jeremiah Smith and JoJo Trader. And, um, 
that's an awesome name, man. I would I would really enjoy JoJo Trader being someone that we get to talk about for three years um, here at Florida. I think one of the things you really got to take into consideration is where Florida's roster is at the wide receiver position. It's going to be really thin after next year. You figure Ricky Pearsall's probably gone. Then you got uh, Frazier's, Henderson, Chiakau Bowman, and Weston in that junior category. You got Marcus Burke and Caleb Douglas as sophomores or redshirt sophomores. And then you got Gene Wilson and Mizell from this last class. I mean, look, if, if Pearsall leaves, if Henderson st- if Henderson ends up leaving, and you know somebody from Frazier's Bowman and Weston don't step up, like you're you're basically looking at these guys are going to come in and get playing time right away, and not yeah, the, class, just the class that just came in for sure. And then yeah, these guys they could sell these guys for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I, I think we always got confused when when Dan Mullen would like bring in a whole new four wide receivers, you know, <laughs> and and one of the guys not on the field would be Kyle Pitts there in 2020. But in some ways, getting those guys the experience and having everybody get get playing time was an important part of what what he was doing. And and you know, we got to see guys like like Trent Whittemore and and things like that make some plays in big games, right, against LSU and and, and some other games as well. So look, I think Smith, Trader, Miller, especially, but Randall and Robinson as well will have opportunities to come in and contribute right away there's not a big difference like there's not somebody that i look at in this list that you've got there who's like hey like like, so if you look at the class for for 2023 gene is clearly the burner wilson is the slot and then mizell is another guy who you'd probably have out on the outside who's more who's the most complete of the three wide receiver recruits coming in but it was interesting to me that they've got a guy in eugene wilson who i sit there and go yeah that's a guy you put in the slot and have him run plays sort of like Kadarius tony ran the other day for kansas city against yeah. uh, against philadelphia there's nobody really that meets that role i mean i think smith at six foot three is a guy you plan on putting on the outside getting the ball out to him on a bubble screen and say go um but again if you get smith and then if you combine that <laughs> with with Jarrett gibson all of a sudden now you got two guys you could take to the house on a little ball out there and and guys like uh guys like, guys like graham mertz are going to look a lot better if they're surrounded by these guys so um yes yeah, so I, I think it's been a really long time since Florida's had a five-star recruit. It's been a really long time since Florida's had a wide receiver up in the rating, up in the rating stratosphere of Jeremiah Smith. Obviously, though, it's a battle with Ohio State and it's a battle with Miami, right? All of these, like Homestead, Fort Lauderdale, Opelika, and Hollywood are all down there in John Ruiz tra- territory. And so, yeah. you know, and you know they, Alabama's not going away. Georgia's not going away for these type of guys. But even with Ohio State's recent success, you know, that's been uh, an area too where these guys go to Alabama. Absolutely, but that, that's all part of it, right? I mean, part yes. of building part of building your program is you got to win these battles. And yep. if all you if all you do is settle for the guys in the in the two hundred range, continue while Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Miami come in and, and grab all the five stars. Well, you know, you're going to struggle when you play those teams. So Napier, you know, look, the Lagway and the, and the Graham commit are huge to start with. But a guy like Smith or a guy like Gibson adding, and if you can add both to this class, you're sitting there in a top three class almost immediately with those guys being added. So getting Smith on and getting Trader in for these official visits is going to be a big deal. Obviously, making sure everything's aligned when it comes to all the different things that they want in terms of educational experience, but certainly NIL and all those things as well is going to be critical. But look, I mean, there's nobody on Florida's roster right now who you look at and say, that's a guy that you can just chuck the ball up to. And, hey, he's getting double teamed. We don't care. We're going to we're gonna chuck it up to him and let him go mm-hmm. get it. I think Smith and Trader actually both fit that profile, though Trader's a little bit smaller guy. Um, but, you know, I, Devontae Smith, I was watching him with the Eagles the other day. He's yeah. not that big a dude. Mm-mm. But, 
you know, when they when they talk about him playing bigger than his size and, and having him rated up where he is and, and the speed that he has, that's kind of who I think of when you yeah. sort of talk about a guy who, who's not playing up to his size is Devontae Smith. Now, obviously, Smith won a Heisman Trophy, so <laughs> that, that that's high praise. And you, and you don't want to compare these guys to that necessarily, just like I wouldn't want to say, oh, Smith is the next Percy Harvin. I don't think there is a next Percy Harvin. But, um, you know, both of these guys, the, the number one rated guy in the state of Florida, the number five rated guy in the state of Florida, that really, again, is, is the criticism thus far for all Florida coaches over the last three, yeah. uh, you know, all the way back to Will Muschamp. And even before Will Muschamp, when you talk about the offensive side of the ball, is guys who have been rated first, second, third, fourth, fifth in the state on the offensive side of the ball have not been coming to Gainesville. And, uh, you know, when that changes, then then we'll <laughs> we'll start to see the program change as well. Uh, Will, kind of going to your point here, um, the most recent, Tyree Cleveland in the class of 2016, he was the 34th overall. Uh, but on the roster, yeah, Xavier Henderson, the 68th overall player. He was the 12th rated wide receiver uh, from the Miami area, of course. But you know, that's as far as recent history goes, Xavier Henderson, who is currently on the roster, and then Tyree Cleveland going back to the class of 2016. And I guess you could say Shorter was a five star too, right? Obviously, right, he's right. A transfer. But yeah, in, but he was. Since we're talking high school and getting them out of high school in this episode, yeah, that's I, that. My bad. I was looking strictly at getting guys out of high school. Oh no, I understand why you did it. I just yeah, know yeah, people yeah. would have complained if we hadn't included him <laughs> in as one of the five stars. That uh, that's so I would also say Grabs was a five star on rivals. Grabs was a five star on rivals. Yeah. Well, was, I mean, Cleveland yeah. was a five star in a couple of different services, yeah. but yeah. but he but he was not a five star in the composites, right? Mm-hmm. So he was sitting there right at that borderline, and and we talk about that all the time time where that 34 34 guy like those guys can be really really good players but they're not sure fire can't miss and so i look at a guy like jeremiah smith and i go that that's a if no injuries occur that's a that's a can't miss type candidate where 80 85 90 percent of the time he's going to turn into a star and um you know so if you told me i can have six guys on the wide receiver list we're going to be looking for but no jeremiah smith or i can have jeremiah smith <laughs> and we'll fill it out with guys ranked in the 700s. I'd tell you, give me Jeremiah Smith. Especially after the class they just got, too, because I like I love the wide receivers Florida just got. So, yeah, you added Jeremiah Smith to that, and as you said, maybe just fill in with some, I won't necessarily say filler types, but you know, some guys lower rated on the – I mean, those are some names. Uh, um, let's see, uh, Bradell Richardson uh, right around that 120 range, uh, Mario Craver right in that 150 range, TJ Moore, J.J. Harrell, uh, then Alex Taylor, Terrell Anderson, their teammates from the, uh, the state of North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina from Grimsley. Uh, Taylor's a four four star coming in right around that three hundred range, and Anderson his teammate, the three star uh, in the five hundred range. Uh, he's a sixty eighth wide receiver. Uh, you know they both grabbed Florida offers last week, but yeah, I, going to your point, those names I just brought up, Will, that weren't on the top five list there, I just put up. Yeah, you can give some, give me somebody like Smith and just fill in with some of those names I just mentioned. Uh, sign me up for that right now after that class Florida just brought in as well. Well, and again, I think this is where you start to see a guy who might back up Eugene Wilson there. And Mario Craver out of Pinson, Alabama, he's five foot nine, one fifty-two. Like that's a guy who's probably going to be in the slot. You're not going to put him outside and make back shoulder throws to a guy like that, right? So he's yeah. filling a different role than a guy like Jeremiah Smith would. And and even JoJo Trader, he's six foot one and a half, 170. He's going to probably fill a different role than Jeremiah Smith would. And so that's a big part of this, right? Is that your your X receiver, your Y receiver, and your Z receiver all have different profiles. And especially the way Napier wants to play, or at least the way Napier's played in the past, where he's had two tight ends, you know, now you got to sort of, you're not necessarily going to be out there with three wide all the time. And so, you know, 
what do you need? You're going to need a big guy who can, who can go deep and who can sort of clear out those flood concepts, but you're going to also going to need a guy who can stick his foot in the ground and come across on the mid-level route like a Eugene Wilson. And so the different skills that you need for the different plays you're running in your playbook and the different skills you need for the different positions and who they're going to be going up against, right? That the quick sudden change can be really effective. If you get a guy who's on a safety or a linebacker, if he's going to be on a corner all the time and the corner's bigger than him, well, then you're going to struggle. So that that's the guy I would look at in terms of the out-of-state guys. So you had you had J.J. Harrell, Terrell Anderson, Jalewis, Solomon, Mario Craver, Alex Taylor, and Draylon Miller out of Texas. Obviously, Miller is one of the guys you had on that list, mainly, I think, because we sus- suspect Napier has a pretty decent relationship with the guy <laughs> coming out of Texas. But Craver's the guy I look at because he's the guy who, if you think about Mizell and you think about Eugene Wilson and Andy Jean, well, okay, who are you going to get? So Jeremiah Smith is sort of the Mizell guy out of there, right? And then maybe JoJo Trader is the is is the Gene guy out of there. And now who's the guy who's going to back up Wilson? And I think Craver sort of fits that profile. Uh, Craver, as you said, will, will Pinson, Alabama. Uh, he just received an offer from Florida, and he will we'll visit on March fourth. By the way, so uh, Florida is early uh, toward the top of his list uh, there. So another name to look out for. It wasn't on that uh, list I put out there. Kind of just maybe going by ranking a little bit. Yeah, when, when making the list, but I definitely did not want to overlook some of those other names uh, that are brought up right there at the uh, same but, time. Well, I would say from a numbers perspective, though, I think you're looking at at least three. You know, running back, yeah, I, yeah. there's only yeah. one more you're bringing in. I think you might even go to four you, if you yeah. had an opportunity to bring in four guys who are who are high level prospects, just because they've been so thin at wide receiver the last couple of years. I mean, you know, you think two years ago against LSU, you got uh, Todd Blackledge basically talking about how none of the Florida receivers could get separation. And last year we saw it, right? That when Shorter went down with an injury, you know, all of a sudden you've got Dejon Reynolds going for what almost 200 yards against Vanderbilt, but he didn't have any big games against anybody else. And you know, you wonder why the offense sputtered at various times. I mean, in some ways it was Anthony Richardson, but a lot of times I think it was that you know you get one receiver nicked up, and all of a sudden you're throwing to a guy who, you know, quite honestly, some of the guys coming up behind him are more talented. And so um, I think but there's Wilson still a lot of guys in that group that have to prove themselves. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, I, whole, I, this whole wide receiver group besides Pearsall and Henderson to a point, and we know the staff likes him, he plays a lot, but we want to see more production out of him. But besides Pearsall, production-wise, there's a lot to be proven. Well, I mean, I think I think that's one of the things that, that everybody sort of found out last year. One of the reasons why there was a mass exodus of players as well is that, you know, just because you're a junior doesn't mean you're going to play. Right. I think ETN proved that. I think I think Shamar James proved that, right? That he jumped over some guys who were already on the roster there at the linebacker position. And so um, you know, look, we weren't happy with the results of the twenty twenty two season, but I think in many ways it taught us something in terms of freshmen being able to come in and if they're more talented, they're gonna play. And so I would not be surprised to see Gene Wilson and Mizell, maybe not all of them, but see those guys push especially for playing time even early on right that wide receiver is a pretty easy position to pick up quickly it depends on how many route adjustments you Mm -hmm. have and those sorts of things but you figure with a with a um with a experienced guy like Mertz if he ends up being the guy who's playing you're gonna build a chemistry with him it's gonna be the guys who who 
who understand the offense well enough, who are the most physically gifted, and in many ways, the guy who can bail him out if he happens to get pressured, makes a bad decision. You know, do you have a wide receiver who's physically gifted enough to make a play, even if everything's not perfect? And and I think Gene Wilson and Mizell specifically possess skills that you don't see when you look at Frazier's, Henderson, Bowman, and Weston. Like those guys are solid receivers. If they were a fourth and fifth receiver, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's that's a pretty deep room. I think when you think about those guys being like the second receiver on the roster, I think that's where you start to get a little bit worried. And and so these guys are going to get an opportunity. And even, you know, again, next year, you're going to have the same opportunity coming in because, uh, um, you know, one, not everybody's going to work out from this freshman class. Right. Uh, but also there's going to be spots. You need nine or ten guys in the wide receiver room. And right now. <laughs> they've only got they've got 10 total but 10. but a lot of those guys are front loaded and they're going to be gone in about a year there you go so that was my next point with this group we just put up for this 2024 class you're really only looking at maybe marcus burke caleb douglas andy gene eugene wilson aid mizell being in the rotation you know but we can, we're not accounting for transfer portal of course and i'm sure that'll play a part in this but as far as high school ranks and, and who's on the roster marcus burke caleb douglas andy gene eugene wilson aid mizell or who these guys we just discussed will be competing with uh, in the coming year. So there are opportunities to come in and play at the University of Florida at the wide receiver position. And, well, what we got to see is what can Billy – this a different type of quarterback that's coming up this fall with Graham Mertz and what he's been used to with with, with, with Levi Lewis at, at Louisiana and Anthony Richardson at, at Florida so far in his first year. You know, will a you know, guy who can't escape the pocket and will he pass more with his arm and with a, a passing offense be enough to – hopefully sell this group of receivers we're talking about because there, there's going to be some room on the roster for these guys to come in and play. But I also think they may be looking at what type of offense is on the field this fall. Yeah, I think so in some capacity. I think this one's a DJ Lagway sell all the way. There, I mean, there, you're, 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 <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna go there next, but go ahead because that, that was that was that. You've got to get this guy to to help that along the way. Well, I mean, I don't think you're selling them on the Graham Mertz experiment at Florida, right? Sure. You're you're basically selling them on, look, we're we're Mertz is going to help us limp along with the guys we've got. We're going to build the skills and the, and the discipline and the and the confidence in these guys. We're going to win a couple of games we shouldn't. We're going to end up hopefully, you know, eight and four, nine and three next year. But it's not a team that's probably going to win the national championship. You're still building. But what you're going to say is we now have this freshman coming in who's going to build and grow with you guys when you come in. Do you want to be part of the next great national championship team here at Florida? Look at how Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin, Brandon Spikes, and all those guys are lionized. That's what you can be if you come here. If you go to Alabama, you're going to be one of – you know, are you going to be better than? Are you going to be more remembered than guys like Henry Ruggs? Are you going to be more remembered than than you know Devontae Smith? Are you going to be more remembered than the quarterbacks who've been there, or you know the the even the defensive ends and all the all the guys who've gone through the Alabama program? I think that's actually one of the things you start selling is you sell the ego part of it, where it's mm-hmm. you can be part of rebuilding the program. So everybody everybody in Alabama remembers guys like AJ McCarron. They remember guys like Mark Ingram. They remember guys like Dante Hightower. In fact, if you go to the Alabama message boards, you can you can hear them and see them reminiscing about like, well, maybe we just need a system quarterback and more talent like we had back in 2010. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, I think you guys are a little bit spoiled now if you're if you're thinking this isn't good enough. Well, also see what, what Georgia did with Stetson Bennett and all the talent around him, you know, yeah. But they, that that style of offense outplayed the superstar quarterback and superstar receivers. Yeah, well, but my point is, is that you're, 
My point is, is you're one of like 45 stars that Nick Saban has had in his tenure there. And in some ways, being a part of that family is attractive, right? But what you have to sell at Florida is you're going to be part of that family, but you're going to be on the front end. And so, you know, Tim Tebow is who Tim Tebow is for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons is, is because he was a huge part of two national championships at Florida. And honestly, he almost gets bigger as we become more and more separated from those sorts of things. And so to be able to build something back, I think in some capacity has more, you end up with more from the school in that way. Mm-hmm. If you do that, that's, that's what I would be selling. I mean, literally I would be showing people the social media profiles of all the guys from those Meyer teams from 2005 to 2009 and say, look, these are the guys who helped bring Florida back to prominence and look at how they do afterwards. Even if they didn't play in the NFL for very long, look at what they're able to do, look at their ability to come back to the program and still have this connection with the fans. Again, I'm sure Alabama has the same thing, but that's what I'd be selling. I'm not sure I'd necessarily be trying to sell the offense this year. Other, un, unless Mertz turns out to, to take a big step forward, then yeah, you sell that too, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. if you're trying to sell it now, you're selling a hypothetical. And if it if it falls flat, then you know I'm not sure that that's a good selling point. The lagway sales point is always a hypothetical until these guys get in there. And so in some ways, that's kind of the value. You know, Bill Sykes always used to talk about the bump class. The value is you can't negative recruit against it, right? You're selling the potential. No one's seen what you can do yet. You're building those relationships up before the start of the year. And even if you have a bad year, it's like, well, that was the old guys, guys. Like, (laughs) you know, next year we'll be fine. And so the whole point of that bump class is that you're able to sell people on potential and you don't have to actually show results. I think, you know, in some ways – Napier's going to have to sort of thread that needle, if, uh, assuming that you know. I don't think any of us think that this is going to be some stellar season for Florida coming up. I think, I think they're going to be better. I don't think that they're going to end up six and six again or six and seven again. But I think the same. By the same token, like if you're not going to sell a lot of people on eight and four, if Alabama's ripping through for another national title, and so to sit there and try to sell that, I think is is limited. I think I point straight to the potential, straight to the hope. The same thing that you sell everybody on when you're a new coach coming into a program, right? As you're selling them on the hope that you're going to turn things around, you got to do the same thing here. Yeah, I think part of that too, Will, are, are timelines. Like honestly, you probably looking at most of the class kind of like it was this past past cycle, but just the way of college football going right now or some of these guys are actually being committed in the summertime going into the season. So whatever the offense looks like in the fall may not have an impact anyway because guys are going to be committed already and you've already sold them on that hypothetical of playing with DJ Lagway and playing you know, with the, the receivers that were just brought in for Florida this past class as well. So, yeah, I think timing has a, has a lot to do with this too. You know, Florida's sitting at you know, 15, 16, 17 commits. Hopefully some of these high-profile wide receivers are in that 15, 16 by the time the season rolls around. Dude, if they end up with a guy like Jeremiah Smith committed before the season starts, you're looking at <laughs> you're looking at a top five class, yeah. irrespective of what the rest of the class looks like, right? I mean that that's really where you're at. If you've got him and Lagway in the class, and you're looking at a dynamic offense coming up, I think the you know I've been as critical of just about anybody when it comes to Napier's recruiting so far, but I was just as critical for Dan Mullen, and I probably wasn't as critical as I needed to be for Jim McElwain, which is one of the reasons why I'm as critical as I am of, of the guys now. But look, I will have nothing to say bad if he's got Jeremiah Smith and TJ Lagway in the class because those are the guys that you win national championships with. 
and over and over and over that shows up. And so, um, yeah, hopefully that happens before kickoff. If he can, if he can have those two in the fold, then we walk into the rest of the recruiting season. And look, the one of the problems with Cormani McLean waiting so long, even had he committed to Florida, him waiting so long was that you were sort of waiting for that five star shoe to drop, and then it never dropped, and you wound up kind of disappointed. Lagway, we've already gotten the one. If you get a second one, well, now you're sitting there comfortable with your class. And I think Graham is actually probably after this year going to rise up, and assuming he doesn't yeah. get injured, it's going to rise up into that. That five-star space too and now you're looking at a class that's on par with ohio state that's on par with with you know certainly texas and usc maybe a little bit behind georgia and alabama but not much and so you're you're doing exactly what you need to do to get to where you need to get to and you know you had that episode earlier this week where you're talking about the new look sec it ain't getting yeah. any easier like Oklahoma and Texas are going to come in and, and they're going to be selling the SEC like crazy too when they come in and they're probably going to start trying to build bigger bigger recruiting profiles and tentacles in places that they haven't in the past, right? I mean, it's a whole lot easier to start going into Alabama and get players and potentially even going to Florida to get players and Texas to get players when you're Oklahoma and Texas. Um, you know, Obviously, you don't have to go into Texas that much, but now that's the SEC recruiting profile. And and teams are going to have to build tentacles into those areas, but they're going to start building tentacles into your areas as well. And that's two more blue blood blue blood programs you're going to have to keep out. So, um, you know, look, I think this is the year to to, to to set things in stage. And wide receiver is the spot that you just look at and say the roster needs it, the overall talent needs it, DJ Lagway needs it. <laughs> Whatever it takes to sell these guys, do it. Because if you can if you can add Smith and Trader the 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 whole narrative behind recruiting changes all right so let's uh, finish up this episode with two positions that just need a huge talent influx as far as just the top of player you can bring in the rating of the player um and we'll go with tight end uh right here and loaded in the state of georgia um and hey, look georgia OC change, Todd Munkin on the way out, you know, Bobo back in there taking it over for OC. We'll see if that affects at all. Probably not truly really too much, but we'll, we'll see uh, Georgia's recruiting prowess there, especially in the state of Georgia. But Walter Matthews, Kylan Fox, Caleb Odom, all from the state of Georgia. Uh, three names that we'll just kind of look at right here. And Walter Matthews, four-star from Hiram, Georgia, 119th overall. He's the fifth tight end in the country uh, was on campus for Florida's big win over South Carolina, Will, and says the Gators are recruiting him the hardest. Uh, certainly going to plan another visit coming up in March. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, uh, I've said it a couple of times, March is going to be a huge visit month for the Gators, uh, whether it be unofficials, officials, all that kind of stuff. Uh, March is going to be big. Uh, going on to Kylan Fox from Loganville, Georgia, another four-star, 202 overall. He's uh, in the athlete range, more of the athletic style of tight end is Kylan Fox and visited Gainesville back on January 21st. He could play either side as an athlete, and that's what he was originally offered as, but it's been decided that he's going to play tight end uh, and just announced uh, this within the last few days. Colin Fox announced that Florida is in his top 15 uh, there, so he trimmed his list, and Florida's making that cut. And then Caleb Odom from Carleton, Georgia, four-star uh, in the 257. Uh, 13th overall. Uh, so, Will, that there. I mean, Tony Livingston, of course, you know, Florida hasn't really brought in a high-profile uh, tight end in Billy Napier's first two recruiting classes. Livingston reclassified from the first class to this past class, the class of 2023. Uh, but if there's uh, uh, one position group 
Uh, we, we, we've looked at running back, and Florida has been able, you know, while missing the elites at running back and wide receiver, have been able to get some pretty good players, elevate that 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 talent group. But tight end, and we'll get the offensive line in just a second, is definitely where they can use uh, some influx of top-tier talent. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yo, I mean, look, Matthews is six foot seven. 245 pounds he's the fifth ranked he's the fifth ranked tight end overall nationally right so he's the 21st overall player in georgia 122nd overall um this is a big boy who uh you know you look at and say you know it's it's really not much different you know Hiram georgia is 360 miles away it's not too much different than going down into miami and getting somebody but obviously now you're going into kirby's neck of the woods and i think in some ways the fact that if 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 Napier's going to go in and get one of these tight ends, he's going to have to go into the the Lions' den to do it. Um, I think is a good thing for him, obviously, because that's a place where Florida's going to have to win. Um, Fox and Odom are lower, certainly twenty fifth. Fox is in terms of his overall position, ranked thirteenth for for Odom. So I, I think there's um, look based on where the roster sits. You got Xander, Zipper, and Odom, and then you just have a big blank box in the sophomore category. <laughs> and then you have Boardingham, Hanson, Livingston, and I think I've heard a little bit about Andrew Savin, yeah, um, who would come yeah. in as sort of a defensive end, potentially being there as well. But you got four unproven guys that you're that you're going to be bringing in, and I suspect that Zipper and Xander's and Odom, um, assuming that Odom's healthy, that those those guys are going to sort of get the lead role this year. Cause look, you can't just throw freshman guys out there at tight end um, in Napier's offense and expect everything to be seamless. And so anybody he brings in this is sort of the same sales job that you got with the wide receivers. I mean, they've cleared out this room. There's, there's literally the junior and sophomore spaces on the roster are just Odom. That's it. And so uh, there's going to be some opportunities here for anybody who comes in really early. And I think there's an opportunity to sell people on that. I'm really, really excited about a guy like Matthews, who's six foot seven, because that's the guy that you figure, you know, you think about what George has been able to do recently. Um, you know, obviously everybody thinks about Brock Bowers, but it's the two tight ends that make that go. And, uh, you know, the, the, the other guy, I can't remember his name right now. It's, um, well, yeah, the, that's the other my time too. Yeah. He's just enormous, right? And, yeah. and that makes the defense nervous. You can't cover him with a corner. You really can't cover him with a safety. And most places don't have a guy who can cover him with a linebacker. And so even if you don't get the ball to him, he's going to open things up. And then they sort of bring Bowers in behind. So, again, if you think about a guy like Arliss Boardingham, he's a guy who I think is going to be sort of that athletic pass-catching tight end a la Bowers. Yeah. And then Darnell Washington, a, there you go. Darnell yeah. Washington, there you go. And then if you bring in Walter Matthews, or Kylan Fox, you know, because Fox isn't a small guy either, 6'4", 208. But that's very different than 6'7", 245. And the interesting thing about that is, you know, you think about New England um, when they had Aaron Hernandez and then and then Gronkowski. Mm-hmm. That, honestly, I think is like the ideal offense that, that Napier wants to be able to run. Because Hernandez and Gronkowski brought different things to the offense, but 
Gronkowski was such a good inline blocker that it was like having an extra offensive lineman when he was in there. Right. And then you'd slip him out and he was too big for anybody to, to he was too big for anybody to cover, too fast for anybody to cover. And all of a sudden you just had a nightmare uh, on your hands if you were a defense. And and you know, the the Super Bowl they won against the Rams, there there's a great YouTube clip going around where they used Gronkowski and moved him around specifically to get the Rams out of position. It was like three straight plays. And I think I think the Patriots won that game by, you know, by a touchdown, had a late drive to to go ahead, and it was all Gronkowski and using the fact that he was a tight end and he got the Rams in bad personnel. And then was, were able to take advantage of it. Florida did that a ton with Kyle Pitts, where you know you have him inside, then you split him out, and all of a sudden he's got a favorable matchup, and the defense is sitting there getting, you know, the, the defense is just getting on its heels because of it. A guy like Matthews can probably set that up, and so he's the guy I think you're really excited about here. Absolutely, yeah, would definitely be the top target there for the Gators, uh, coming from the state of Georgia for the tight end position. So. You know, other names out there as well, but you know, there's the three we'll focus on right here. Yeah, here's that's another thing. Can't go over each and every name. We'd, we'd be here all night, Will, if we <laughs> going for all these target sets uh, that's out there. Uh, but now let's end this offensive class of 2024 target list with the offensive line. And, of, of course, um, okay, in, in the last class, we're going to get Aaron Roderick Kearney to highlight the offensive lineman from the class of 2023. But Florida needs some big-time offensive tackles. I mean, interior of the offensive line, I like what Florida's done, uh, but Florida has to get the offensive tackles, the guys on the edge of the offensive line. Get to get that up there as well. We'll start with Eddie Pierre-Louis from the Tampa area, four-star, 150th, uh, 153rd overall. I had to get his ranking from on three because 24-7 still has him listed. He, he plays both sides, so they had him listed as a defensive player. Uh, so that's why you see two players right here at, at 153. Uh, Pierre-Louis, um, 153 overall from the Tampa area. He is the younger brother of Richard Garage, Will. So he's logged, of course, numerous visits to Florida, been to campus many, many times. Two-way player for Tampa Catholic program that plays in Florida's 3A classification. Uh, worked primarily at left guard on offense to Pierre-Louis, but you know, hopefully the, the relationship with one Richard Garage can pay off right there for, for, for Florida. But as I said, that's on the interior there. We will move to Fletcher Westfall on the offensive line for the offensive tackle from Austin, Texas. Four-star, 153rd overall, seventh-rated offensive tackle in the country. Uh, the Gators need elite results at offensive tackle from the high school ranks. It has to be one of, if not the highest priority for this class. Um, verified size and frame uh, to be a prototypical left tackle, 24-7 sports says. Has linked to match frame. Takes meaningful snaps on defense as well. Uh, move well. Showed ability to bend during in-person evaluation. Uh, despite size, can sink hips and explode up into defense at the end when run blocking. Able to stay engaged, drive legs to move defender, is physical, finishes blocks, has a nasty streak, embraces competition. Uh, one, other, one of the other players, Will, that visited Florida against, the South, against South Carolina. He has high interest in the Gators after constant communication with Rob Sale and Billy Napier. Uh, looks to visit in March as well. Uh, and then uh, Blake Frazier, uh, of course, it was a name that you heard last week on Gators Breakdown, 6'5", 260 from Austin, Texas. And... DJ Lagway, uh, personally recruiting, Frazier himself. That's what he said right here on Gators Breakdown last week. Uh, he visited Florida for the first time in January. Uh, he'll be taking official visits in May and June and then commit before his senior season. So maybe we'll get an answer there uh, from, from, from Fletcher about uh, um, 
Uh, I think I have his rating wrong uh, right there. He's about in the 240 range. Uh, he was the 16th offensive tackle. Uh, as I said, I was trying to, I was in a, it was in a hurry to, to get these graphics out when 24-7 uh, redid the rankings. Uh, so I had to um, speed that up. But Daniel Cruz also on the list from, um, uh, from Northland, Richland, uh, North Richland Hills, Texas, four-star, and six three and a half two seventy eight one more from the state of Texas as I said so uh, from what I was told Will he's at the top of the board uh, being recruited by Jabbar Jaluk uh, can play center or guard uh, kid is a beast uh, is what's being said there uh, behind the scenes for one offensive lineman Daniel Cruz uh, and then Jake Guarnera from Ponte Vedra right down the road for me here in Jacksonville six uh, three. And a half, 290, another offensive lineman that wants to decide early, commit in July. He's camped at North Carolina a lot the last couple of years. Uh, visited there last month as well. Uh, Florida is in a group of North Carolina, Clemson, Miami, NC State, Penn State, and Tennessee uh, going along with his top schools. But, uh, yeah, Will, Florida, I mean, offensive line, you got two offensive line coaches that go a long way here in, in, in recruiting, but offensive tackle definitely got to be hit as raising the talent level at that position. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the roster to start with a tackle, and, and numbers-wise, Florida's actually doing okay in many ways because of the transfer portal. So yeah. you have Devin George and William Harad in the junior category. Then you've got Barber, Herman, and Keontae Goodwin there in the sophomore. And then you got Connor and Caden Jones in the freshman, redshirt freshman. So, you know, if you add two guys at the tackle position, I think you've done a pretty good job in this class. You almost always want to add four. So you're looking at two interior, two tackle guys. So this does point out sort of the – the value and why we pushed so hard and spent so much time talking about Samson Okunlola, right? I mean, a guy who's sitting there in the top 10 at tackle doesn't come along all that often. And you're looking here at these guys, these are all very good players again, but not can't miss candidates for each of them. But, you know, obviously you should have the inside track with Pierre Louis considering his relationship to garage though. Obviously garage has a very unique perspective, right? Because he was there for Mullen was recruited there um, was kind of recruited by, by McIlwain too. So has, has sort of experienced the entire, uh, gamut and he's going to be able to tell <laughs> he's going to be able to tell mm -hmm. Eddie exactly what's going on right and so is that a good thing or a bad thing the only, you know, only time will tell um, you know there have been a lot of great returns on Billy Napier and how he cares about the players but you know each individual player is different and certainly you know we saw some surprise offensive linemen who left after this year and and so you know it'll be really interesting to see whether that's a good thing or a bad thing there I think F Frazier like you mentioned is a guy Lagway is trying to convince to come. That was one of the things I thought was really illuminating about that specifically, that interview that he's, you know, you ask him who he's recruiting. And the first thing I thought he was going to say was a guy like Jeremiah Smith, at wide receiver. But no, he said, I want a guy who can protect me. And so that's, that's, that's Frazier. That's the guy he's sort of, sort of narrowed in on. And then Westfall, you know, he's an interesting candidate in that he's that, He's the big dude, right? Six, seven and a half, three oh five. He's the guy you look at with the prototypical tackle size. Frazier's six five, two sixty. Not a huge dude. Gonna have to mm -hmm. put some weight on his profile. Probably has quick feet, but are those quick feet because he's he's lighter? A guy like Westfall, you look at his tape and you say, okay, this guy's probably closer to a finished product. So what are you looking to have on the field? I think may even impact who you decide to take. I think if George turns out to be either a starter or a very solid backup. And then if Barber and Goodwin can take the left and the right tackle spots, well, now you've got those spots sort of situated for a couple of years. You can bring in guys who are maybe more developmental. 
if George just turns out to be a backup, if Goodwin can't break his way into the lineup, and if they have an injury or something like that, well, now all of a sudden you you know you probably need a guy who can step right in. My guess is they'll probably try to take one of each, one guy who can step right in, and then one guy who's more of a developmental prospect. Um, but that's sort of what you're looking for at the at the tackle position. The guard position is a little bit different because you got Mizuka who you just brought in through the transfer portal. Then you got Simons and Leonard at guard. You got Egwiken at center. I'm sort of all the interior guys. Yeah. Then you've got then at the, at the sophomore spot you just got Cam Waits who's hurt, and then you and may even end up moving out to tackle once he comes back. And then you got Slaughter there at the center position. Then you got Farmer, Williams, Kearney, Lovett, and Harris. Um, in that freshman category. So you got a, guy, a lot of guys there, but guys with no experience. So this right. is very similar to the tight end position and the wide receiver position where you're saying, look, we may have bodies here, but we don't necessarily have bodies that are proven. And so you're going to get an opportunity when you come in. And so I think there is an opportunity, specifically the interior offensive line, to sell a lot of those things. I think the tackle is going to be more, you're going to have to come in and compete and win the job because we've got guys here we think can already play. And um no, I think that's a good thing, right? I mean, you got to have some positions where you feel healthy <laughs> about the depth. And I actually look at the offensive line with what they've done in the transfer portal and think the team is much healthier than I thought they would be to start with. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with Mazuka being a can't-miss plug-and-play starter, George being a guy who is going to be able to at least pull minutes in the SEC, even if he's not like a top-tier starter. And then obviously the the – the the upside of a guy like Goodwin, you add to that a guy like Pierre Louis, Frazier, Westfall, and all of a sudden now you're just building depth at the position as opposed to saying this is a guy we need to have because we have to plug a hole. I think the holes are plugged on the offensive line. Now it's a question of finding quality guys who fit your system, fit your profile, love the coaches, enjoy the fact that they have two offensive line coaches who are going to be on their butts the entire time, and then enjoy the competition because there's going to be a lot of competition at those positions. So there we go. There's our look at offense and our targets there for 2024. And maybe somewhat of a big board uh, there, but uh, not comparing it to the co- – I have no idea. who uh, A couple – I told you, you know, feel good – the staff feels good about, but, um, hey, staff, you know, they, they got their own evaluations and stuff, and that was easy for us to go and look at 24-7 and kind of put a listing together. And, you know, like as I said, some guys I included that are just pretty simple, and some guys, of course – um, there, the you know, staff legit interest in, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But, uh, well, before we go, uh, Animal on uh, YouTube uh, showed uh, threw in the question: uh, Why recruit at least one quarterback every year? Um, so, of course, Gators getting DJ Lagway and him committing uh, with, with Jaden Rashad was already committed there for the Gators. But, like, it's just a strategy you have. Uh, you, you never know, even though you recruit at if you if you can recruit at a high level at that position, you just it's the hardest one of the hardest positions to just kind of project. You don't know what you're getting there. Of course, now with the transfer portal, too, you guys can just get up and leave in any moment right now. And then I, so I think, you know, for quarterbacks, it's absolutely imperative to, to bring one in and even before transfer portal and guys transferring left and right, it, it was so important to so say you always have um, a body waiting behind. You don't know in, injuries. You, injuries really play a factor into this. You'd like to have and build some depth. So even if you have the guy, I mean, to, 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 that's leading your team, if he goes down, 
you, you want a quarterback that, there to be behind them. Now, it makes it a little bit easier if you do miss. Now, Florida doesn't have a, a 2023 quarterback uh, in their class now with Rashad being added to class. So, the you know, transfer portal does make it easier. I don't think it's necessarily a necessity uh, to go and recruit a quarterback every year. I'd rather him do it, you know, just so you have one on the roster. Is the guy they've identified, a guy that they want to fit in their system instead of having to go to transfer portal route uh, some, in, in some ways. But um, I think, you know, with the transfer portal, it's not detrimental if you don't get that quarterback uh, in a recruiting class anymore. Well, I mean, I think it sort of depends, right? I, I think the the downside of Jaden Rashada not being in Gainesville is you don't get the opportunity of Jaden Rashada becoming a star, right? Maybe he becomes a star, maybe he doesn't become a star, but you don't have that opportunity, right? I think it's not a coincidence that when you look at the NFL, the top 10 players at each position in the NFL, quarterback gets paid $36 bucks, and the next closest is edge rusher at 21.7. So a quarterback gets paid essentially double what the next – tier in terms of the top 10 players in in the league get paid and when you figure that a quarterback there's only one of those right you might have two edge rushers in the nfl you look at wide receivers they get paid 19.6 million left tackles get paid 18.5 you think about like oh i need a quarterback and a left tackle but the left tackle is making exactly half of what a quarterback makes in the nfl at least for the top 10 so that's once you get past the rookie deals and all that sort of stuff so that tells you how that position is valued and so what that means is, is you've got a limited number of spots, right? You got 25 spots approximately where you can sign somebody every year. And so there's an opportunity cost when you bring in a left tackle and don't bring in a quarterback in that 25. And the reality is, is that, you know, it's the same reason the Packers drafted Jordan Love a few years ago, right? They had Aaron Rodgers there. But what happens if Rodgers decides to bolt? What happens if he decides to retire? What happens if he gets injured? Well, now you've got somebody behind him. And in college, it's the same thing, right? And to be honest, you want guys churning through every three years anyway. So if you sign a guy every year, well, now you've got a guy with a couple of years of experience in your system when, you're, when your starter from the year before decides to go pro, and now you got a couple of guys battling for that position. Yes, in the transfer portal era, you are going to have guys leave. And I actually do think this is something that's going to be interesting is – you know, one of the, I think, positives of bringing in a guy like Max Brown last year is Brown likely isn't going to transfer anywhere. Right. And even if he just becomes like a solid backup, he's a guy who can be there when you have that sort of injury. But it's really just a matter of statistics, right? I mean, it's or probabilities. It's, you know, you figure guys ranked in the Jaden Rashada sort of ilk top 100 quarterbacks um, usually work out about 25% of the time. So you got four classes. You want one of those guys in each of those four classes. Now, a guy like Lagway, his profile probably works out somewhere in the 55, 60, 65 percent range of the time. So if you miss one, it's not a huge deal. But, you know, God forbid, what happens if something happens to Lagway this year in a senior year in, in high school? Right now you're sitting there with no backup and nobody else on your roster and you got this giant hole or what happens if, if Lagway decides to go someplace else or, yeah. you know, it, you just never know. Right. And so what you're trying to do is sort of hedge against uncertainty. And especially with the transfer portal, I think that's a key because again, what happens if Lagway comes in, um, doesn't succeed very much and decides he wants to transfer someplace else after the first year. I don't think that's going to happen given, you know, given the conversations we've had with him and given all the stories that are out there, but what happens if that happens? Well, who's on the roster to back him up at that point. So that's, that's all you're doing is you're hedging against, um, you're deciding to use a, a, a initial counter. So one of those 25 spots, you're deciding to use that every year on the most important position on the field, because if somebody goes down there, um, you know, that's where you really struggle. And if you think about like 2013 for Florida, where you mm -hmm. had, 
where where you had Jeff Driscoll go down with a broken ankle against Tennessee, and then Tyler Tyler Murphy wound up hurting his shoulder, and all of a sudden you got Skylar Morhenweg in there as 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 your quarterback, as opposed to maybe a few years later. And this is actually the other thing is you don't necessarily want to sign two high level guys in the same class because then you end up with a situation where you have you know Jacoby Brissett and and uh, and Driscoll, or you end up with a position with a situation where you've got. Um, you know where you've got Treon Harris going against Will Greer, and you've got those sorts of competitions. And whoever loses that these days is going to go someplace else. And so having that year of space between each of those guys gives you the ability to keep them there because there's always going to be a year of eligibility. Now, obviously, if the freshman beats up the sophomore, the sophomore is probably going to transfer. But then the freshman beat out the sophomore, so your probability's worked out. Yeah, uh, Animal went on to say, and he goes, he goes, it's just me. He goes, every time I see. Then recruiting a quarterback makes me think they're not happy with what they have, but I don't know. So no, nah, I don't think that has uh, has much to do with it. Got to kind of go in the wheels point. I don't think it's not a belief in what you have. You're put, you're setting yourself up for the future. Uh, for 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 one thing, uh, to 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 get ready for the future and the the just in case of the 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 guy goes down, your your starter goes down, you have a capable backup. Uh, and the guy you've identified uh, re- there um, that you recruited for the high school level and you recruited him for a reason. So we see it all over college football. I mean, they're, all the big-time programs bringing in quarterback year after year after year. You know, It's not that Georgia didn't believe in Stetson Bennett or Georgia didn't believe in uh, who was the, the – Vandergriff and Jacob Carson e- Beck. Yeah, you had the Jacob Easton stretch, the Fromm, Vandergriff, Beck. I mean, you had that stretch there for Georgia. It's not that they didn't believe in those guys. It's – you got to stack them. You just never know, especially right now in the world of college football, uh, what the what the uh, I guess the, the roulette holds because they can just get up and go anytime, and injuries are part of the game. Well, put it this way: I don't plan on dying, but I still have life insurance, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean at the end of the day, like I still have to there have a go. plan for what happens if I get hit by a truck tomorrow. Like my family has to be taken care of, and so the responsible thing to do is not to say, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that," you know. 30 bucks a month or whatever it costs to get 20, 20 year term life insurance and, and, you know, leave them in a, in a lurch. If something happens to me, the responsible thing to do is to say, Hey, we're going to put that money aside. We're going to buy that insurance and make sure that if something does happen to me, that at least from a monetary perspective, these people are taken care of. That's all you're doing, right? As you're sitting there and saying, look, I, I've got the quarterback I want in DJ Lagway, but I need insurance policies to make sure that if anything happens, that we've got somebody who can step in and it's not a complete disaster. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen in the past where Florida hasn't had a guy. I mean, Greer's a great example, right? I mean, you brought in Greer and Harris right around the same time. Greer turns out to be a really good player, gets popped at the GNC, and all of a sudden you got Harris in there and the offense completely sputters. And you just want to avoid that sort of thing. And so bringing in a guy every year hopefully gives you some insurance that if anything bad happens, you're, you're taken care of. Yeah, I forgot this. Matt points out that Georgia had fields too, by the way. So <laughs> I mean, that was a little stretch there for Georgia to start with uh, Easton from fields. Uh, ooh. Yeah. So we'll see what, hey, we'll see. Those, those quarterbacks were finally, you know, the quarterback the last few years, the Vandergriff, Becks of the world. Uh, we'll see what, what ends up there for Georgia. Well, and Vandergriff might be available after spring practice. Right. We'll see yeah, how we'll things see what- work out or back. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what works out because, again, they've stacked some guys. Somebody's going to win that battle. We'll see. I, I suspect that whoever doesn't win the battle is going to have some suitors out there, um, mm-hmm. you know, just because of their profiles and what people think they can do. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. We will do it again next week on the defensive side of the ball right here for the class of 2024. Will you got anything, uh, anything coming up? Uh, read reaction or you and Nick this week? 
Yeah, so we're gonna have we're gonna have stand up and holler this week, and and an article I'm working on that I'm going to finish. I've got it like three quarters of the way done on how to value players. I think that was one of the things out of the Rashada article on the Athletic that sort of struck me is that how do you actually value players in the NIL era? So I've come up with a way to do that, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to communicate it. But um, I think it's sort of an interesting take on how to how I would value players. And so um, you know when you see a deal and someone says this guy's not worth eight million dollars, well is that true? Yeah, you know, there's a reason I was able to cite those NFL numbers. It's because I'm kind of using that as my template for uh, for how you would value somebody. But if a quarterback is worth twice as much as a left tackle in, uh, in in the NFL, is that true in college? And if that's true in college, then if a guy like I am Oliva at Tennessee gets an NIL deal for eight million bucks, what does that mean for somebody like Okunlola, who's similarly ranked but at a very different position? And so uh, that's that's what'll be coming out pretty soon. All right, there you go. Will Miles at readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown.